Welcome to our Bible study of the book of Hebrews. In this video, we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, which is the final chapter, and this is also the final lesson uh, in our study. And uh, I've titled this video Final Matters because the book of Hebrews, like so many of the letters found in the New Testament, the last chapter is not just like some lengthy argument about one topic, uh, but you, rather it's just kind of a list of a whole bunch of different things, one right after the other. It's kind of like whenever you've been visiting with somebody and then maybe the, the last few hours of your visit or maybe the last day or so of your visit, depending on how long of that visit that is, you just kind of cover a whole bunch of different topics. And sometimes in this case, like with the book of Hebrews, it's things that he doesn't feel the need to really go into greater detail. If he had felt the need to go into greater detail, he would have done it. Um, but what we do see is he felt the need to bring it up. And because he brings it up, it is important. So I don't want you to, to rush through this chapter and think, oh, well, we're at the end already. Well, we're not done with the book. There's still more to be learned in this last chapter. Uh, and uh, by the way, I, I want to go ahead and mention it here. Uh, after you get done with this video, if you want to, you can still check out the Bible Projects video of the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you look below, I will try to put a link in there so that you can uh, kind of follow uh, in the the description of this video, I'll try to put a link to their video uh, so that you can watch that one. And it just gives you this overview again. Uh, I like to watch those videos at the beginning before I start studying a book and then at the end after I've already studied that book because then it kind of helps just piece everything together and it gives you this wonderful overview. So you're welcome to do that if you would like to. But for this video, let's jump into the text together. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. We read, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering or were suffering, I'm sorry. So here in the first few verses, uh, we see this idea of the need to continue to show love, you know, keep on loving one another. Uh, that's something that, of course, they knew that they needed to do. Okay, this isn't supposed to be new information. I sure hope it's not new information uh, to you all as well. I hope that we all are on the same page. We're supposed to be loving one another. But this is that reminder. You know, uh, you you possibly even remember whenever you were growing up that your uh, your mother or your father kept reminding you something. You know, before you might leave somewhere, they they would say the same type of thing to you. You know, I know that mine would always say something like, you know, be safe or, or, you know, something along those lines. They would say something like that. Well, you already know that you're supposed to be safe, you know, and all that's possible for you. But yet that's that reminder. That's kind of what this is here. It's that reminder to continue to love one another. Uh, after all, I, I guess it is possible that we might forget if we don't keep reminding one another. This is supposed to be central to us being Christians, and that is to love one another. We also see this statement found in verse 2 about showing hospitality. Now, showing hospitality is, is very kind of, you know, interesting uh, in, in many ways. And, and hospitality that you see uh, people displaying, uh, of course, the amount of hospitality and what that looks like, it varied from culture to culture. I, I know that we don't always think about that as much, but the way that we show hospitality today might be different than the way that they would have shown hospitality before. But if you go back like to the book of Genesis and you see that that Abraham, he was commended for the hospitality that he showed whenever he uh, entertained or showed hospi hospitality 
to those uh, three men who came to him. And it turns out that, uh, that two of those men, at least, uh, were angels. And I can't help but notice that that's probably what's being stated here uh, at the last part of verse 2, that some people have, have, uh, have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Abraham did not know that those men were angels. He just knew these are men who needed to be shown hospitality, and he showed hospitality to them. Uh, and you can find this uh, around the, the story. Uh, I believe you would be looking around uh, Genesis chapter 18 if you want to, to, to read that in the text and, and see those things about the hospitality that he was showing those strangers, who some of them turned out to be angels. Uh, perhaps that might even happen today. You know, maybe the people that we come in contact with we might find out, or we might not find out, that uh, we showed hospitality to, to angels. Uh, that is most certainly possible. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep looking, because there's a little bit more things to, to mention here. In verse 3, we see this about those people who are in prison, that we need to continue to remember those. Now, this was written during a time whenever those people in prison were likely Christians who were in prison because of their faith. Um, so specifically, that's kind of the type of statement that this should be taken as. Um, however, you know, that, that concept of being with them is so important. And also the people who are being mistreated. Uh, we need to, to kind of be with them and, and somewhat feel the, the pain that they are going through as well. Um, not that we would necessarily you know, feel the exact same pain, but rather that we can, we can be with them and understand that we are part of the body of Christ. They are part of the body of Christ, and whenever one part of the body is hurt, the rest of you hurts as well. Just like, you know, as, as you personally, as your body, you know, if you um, are hammering something and you hit a finger or a thumb, you know, the rest of your body cries out in pain too, so to speak, because that's all part of your body. Yes, your thumb hurts, and your thumb might hurt more than the rest of you, but the rest of you still does have some type of pain because of that. Well, in the same way, we are the body of Christ, and we should be able to feel these same things uh, across the body as well. Uh, there's some more final matters, though, so let's keep looking at some more of these. Verses 4 through 6 now. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I tell you what, these last few verses, the last two verses, I guess here, verses five and six, uh, those that are quoted from the Old Testament, I think we really need to be focusing on this a lot right now. Because, you know, we've seen some very uh, interesting things, uh, kind of maybe even, you might say, some crazy things that we've seen out in the world. But yet, what we see here in these verses is that God has already said, he's already promised that he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He is our helper. We do not need to be afraid. Because after all, what can mere mortals do to us? It's very little. That's the answer. Uh, but yes, I can't help but whenever I see these, these passages to notice how much they speak to our current situation. Uh, and I guess they take so much of my attention that uh, I didn't even mention anything about verse 4. Verse 4 is all about marriage and the importance of it. And, and apparently just one verse was kind of enough right here, but yet the Hebrew writer still wanted to say at least one verse about the need 
to honor marriage, but also keep the marriage bed uh, pure. Uh, and, you know, that, that just kind of basically means that we uphold what marriage is supposed to be. And we read about that nearly from page one in the Bible. Uh, I mean, you, you get it in chapter two of Genesis. You find out about what marriage was between Adam and Eve and what was expected of them. And the same type of thing uh, is carried over into us today. Whenever we look at the book of Ephesians, we find out that uh, the type of, of uh, marriage relationship that there should be between a husband and a wife is compared to that of like Christ and the church. When you start really understanding how important that is, you start to recognize how important it is that marriage is kept pure today. And that is by honor uh, and that is honored by all people. Uh, so, yes, we need to definitely make sure that we uphold marriage and that we recognize marriage for what it is to be. Uh, there's more in this chapter. Verses 7 through 10 now. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial food, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Okay, so let's kind of work our way through some of these things. I, I know that uh, it was difficult for me to tell where I should start and, and stop these verses. And, and for the most part, I kind of based where I would start and stop on kind of what would fit on a slide. So there, there's really not a lot of reason as to why I started and stopped them uh, where I did, because this this whole chapter, it's it's so choppy going from one topic to the next. But yet there are some things that that relate to it all. And I think that you can see some of those threads that run through it all. So here in this passage, uh, what we do see is in verse seven, the need to remember our leaders, to look to our leaders. Now, these leaders specifically here, um, I think that we can definitely see from the, the second phrase that who spoke the word of God to you, we're talking about spiritual leaders. Um, I think that you can kind of argue that a little bit later in this chapter, uh, that we will see some of those leaders uh, might not always be just spiritual leaders. And most certainly there's other passages in the Bible that talk about the need uh, to to uh, uphold leaders and recognize the leadership that they hold, even if they're not Christian leaders. Uh, but yet here, what we're looking at is not just kind of government leaders or anything like that. What we are looking at here, they're Christian leaders. Um, you know, these would be kind of like the, the elders, though if he had meant this to be just among the elders, then he would have said, remember your elders. But that's not what he says. He says to remember your leaders. So we're looking at broader than just those who are who are the elders. But these are the ones who are the leaders of the church, the ones who even spoke the word of God to you, maybe the ones who even led you, so to speak, to Christ. Those are the types of people that we need to remember. Those are the type of people that we need to imitate their faith. And if you want examples of what that type of faith looks like, you've already been given it a couple chapters earlier than this. In Hebrews 11, we see, saw this whole chapter of great men and women of faith, and we are called to imitate their faith. Now, we never need to look at just a human person as if they are God. We need to recognize that God is God and a human is not. But a human can still serve as a very good example for us to imitate their faith. 
Um, but, you know, our faith doesn't need to rest upon them and their faithfulness. Uh, our faithfulness and our faith needs to rest on God and on his son, Jesus Christ. And why can our faith rest on that? Verse 8 gets into that. Because Jesus Christ is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Um, Jesus Christ, he, he doesn't change. Just like God. You know, this is the same thing that's stated about God. That God is always the same. The God that we serve in the New Testament is still the exact same God that they served in the Old Testament. And in many ways, we serve God in, in, in a very similar manner of how they did in the Old Testament. Specifically, things have changed. But things have changed for other reasons. They have not changed because God has changed, because God doesn't change. And just like Jesus Christ doesn't ever change, he's always the same. And that can be something that that can help us because whenever things might be uh, going on in our lives that everything else seems to be changing, we can rest assured God doesn't change. He is our anchor in which our whole life can, can rest firmly against or within. And Jesus Christ is just like that. Well, Jesus Christ should be our firm anchor within our life. Because as the next couple of verses talk about, that we don't need to be carried away uh, by strange teachings. By teachings that are, you know, kind of foreign to what really even the Bible talks about. But rather, what we should do is we should be strengthened by grace. Now, some of these other phrases, though, I, I just, I want to mention this to you because it gets a little strange in these these verses, and also the next slide is going to be some other passages that are that are a little uh, weird to us. However, if you just recently read through maybe some of the Law of Moses, it's not going to sound all that strange because I think it would even help make all of this make a little bit more sense. I think reading the Book of Hebrews helps make like the Book of Leviticus, for instance. I think it helps make that book make a little bit more sense, and also. Uh, I guess you might say that the reverse works as well. If you are wanting to make sense of some of these kind of odd phrases that appear in the book of Hebrews, when you read a book like Leviticus, uh, and of course there's there's other law books besides just Leviticus, but that's just kind of a big one that, that uh, can be confusing to us. But if you read Leviticus, it can help explain a lot of these things that we're going to see here in Hebrews. Because it's talking about eating these ceremonial foods. I'm not going to dive a whole lot into all of that mainly because I think that it would kind of distract us from what the Hebrew writer is talking about. But if you want to dive in, uh, you know, on your own time and, you know, personally just dive into some of the law of Moses and see what the ceremonial foods is talking about, just read through uh, something. I, I mean, if you read through the book of Leviticus, it will definitely pick up things about the, the ceremonial foods and stuff like this. And also about this altar that's talking about in verse 10. Um, basically, what it is talking about is um, the altar that they offered sacrifices on and who could or couldn't eat the food. It depended upon every individual sacrifice that they, that they offered on the altar. Um, but all this comes back to the fact that we have an altar that is better than the one that was in the tabernacle. And it's better than the one that was in the temple. And it's not a physical altar, okay? The sacrifices that we give are not some of the same types of physical sacrifices, at least with animals, um, like what they gave in the Old Testament. We still do have sacrifices, though, and we will see that in the next passage. Um, but here, we already see that uh, we don't need to necessarily rely everything upon eating these ceremonial foods, uh, but recognize that it is being strengthened by grace 
You know, we do have a little bit of a, of a ceremonial food that's carried over into the New Testament. Um, we, you know, we call it the Lord's Supper uh, or communion as we take of it. But yet that still is a little different than this because that communion, it's to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus already gave to us. Uh, and in fact, the contrast that he's giving here is that those foods in the Old Testament, especially those ceremonial foods, they had no benefit to those people uh, who ate them. Um, well, there was some because there was part of what they were supposed to take part in these meals. Uh, that was that that was some benefit. But as far as you being able uh, to to have your salvation based on those things, uh, that's not how it that's not how the, that, that worked at all. Um, and that's not how it works today. You know, your salvation is not dependent upon whether or not you partake of the Lord's Supper. That Lord's Supper is a reminder of the sacrifice that was already offered in your place. That sacrifice that was already done 2,000 years ago whenever Jesus walked here and whenever he gave his life in our place. Uh, so yes, we do still have some of these things today, but this altar, this, uh, these foods and everything, we see how it is better uh, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And that's what the book of Hebrews has been all about all along. So I'm not going to dive into everything about that because we've already looked at it in previous chapters. Uh, but we are going to get into a little bit more looking at, at this about with the priests and everything. So let's let's look at those things now. Verses 11 through 16. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also had suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So now we get into all of these things about the high priest and, and specifically what we see that's being described is what happened on the Day of Atonement. And, and you can look at right in the middle of the book of Leviticus and you can find out about the Day of Atonement and, and what that was all about. Basically, it was a way that they would atone for their sins. Um, and there was, this, there was this ritual that they went through. Um, it was what God gave them to do, to, to be this reminder of this sin and, and also that they have to do something about this sin. We as Christians, we have very similar ways that, uh, that Jesus, uh, he was a sacrifice for our sins. And he did some of those things like how he was actually sacrificed outside the city gates. I know, I, I guess this is just something that really we as Christians, we don't talk much about um, because, well, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us from the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, there was very specific uh, things about where things were supposed to be sacrificed, where the blood was supposed to be placed, and, and all this. And it depended upon which sacrifice that they were offering at the time. But the type of sacrifice that Jesus offered for us, it was one that he went outside the camp. So we are called, like what verse 13 says, uh, we are called to go outside. You know, we're called to, to go meet him there, so to speak. And this has nothing to do with literally going outside, you know, physically going outside of your camp or outside of your city. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with going to where Jesus is and kind of bearing that same type of disgrace that he bore, walking that same type of pathway that he walked. That's what all this is talking about. Verse 14 reminds us it's not about things right here. It's not like we have some enduring city here on earth. 
We don't. What we do have is we're looking for this kind of uh, heavenly city, so to speak, the one in which uh, God's rule, just like it is in heaven, will, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if that were here on earth? Well, that, that was kind of the, the prayer that Jesus offered. And that has to do with this focus is that we should be the type of people who are praying that God's will be done here on earth, just like it is in heaven. What we're looking for is not something, not some enduring city here on this earth. We're not trying to find a permanent home uh, here on this earth in this lifetime. What we are awaiting for is kind of this heavenly city, this um, this ability that that the city that is going to be coming is going to be one in which God himself, and you read like at the end of Revelation, when God himself is going to make his dwelling place with us. And we've already seen this also in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the last couple of chapters, that's even uh, shown up. So he's he's been conditioning us to recognize we can't focus just in this life. We have another life to look forward to. And that other life is so important. We've got to keep our focus on that, uh, on on this, this goal, and that is being with God. And this is all part of, of how we can be with God and how God can be with us. We see in verses 15 and 16 about this sacrifice that we are called to offer. And you might think that when it says here in verse 15 that the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, you might not think that that's a lot of a sacrifice. However, keep in mind that during the time that Hebrews was written, whenever you openly profess the name of Christ, it could mean imprisonment for you. You know, we've already looked at that at the beginning of this chapter. It could mean that you're imprisoned. It could mean that you're ridiculed. It means that you might have to bear disgrace, like what verse 13 in this passage says. It also uh, might say, like, uh, when you look back at verse, um, in verse 3, uh, those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. Um, so yes, bearing out, openly professing uh, the name of Christ, it could lead to mistreatment. It could lead to some type of suffering. So if you look at that and you think, well, that's not much of a sacrifice just to openly profess his name. Well, many times it actually is. Now, that might not be exactly a sacrifice for you, but yet what that means to openly profess the name of Jesus and the name of God is that everything that you do, everything that you have will be devoted to him and will be freely given to him. And we're called to like what verse 16 says, you know, what does that look like? Well, it's so that we don't forget to do good and to share with other people. That's what it means whenever we truly are professing the name of God and everything that we do is done in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. We see that we won't forget to do good. We won't forget to share with those people who are in need, who might need some of the things that we ourselves have. Those types of sacrifices God is pleased in. So do we have sacrifices today? Yes, we do. It just has changed from the times of the Old Testament. But it still is so important, and we still uh, are called to offer these things up. Now we're going to revisit uh, about these leaders as well. Verses 17 through 19. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure 
that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So here in this passage, we see once again about these leaders. And uh, yes, many times in the scriptures, I think that you can argue that the leaders that we're looking at are not just spiritual leaders, but also physical leaders. Um, here, if this is talking about physical leaders, uh, which, you know, there could be some of this that, that uh, relates to physical leaders, it most certainly can all apply to the spiritual leaders. And I think that taking it as these spiritual leaders, uh, it does work through this text and allow us to, to recognize a, a thought that is going throughout it all. And that is that we need to, as part of the church, we need to submit to those who are in leadership positions. We also need to be people who are praying for those. That's what verse 18 talks about. You know, many times in, in uh, other letters in the New Testament, Paul continued to ask for prayers because he recognized the importance of the prayers. Well, right here in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer, he recognizes the need for prayers as well. And he asked for prayers and he asked that that uh, that he can remain faithful. Uh, he believes that he is. He has no reason to doubt that. But he still asked for those prayers. And we need to be praying for our leaders as well. We need to be praying for one another. Uh, and all of this has to do with with just working together as the body of Christ and doing what Christ would have us to do. There's still some more uh, final topics, so let's keep looking. Verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love passages like this because uh, so many times in the New Testament, it seems that a writer is just talking about God or talking about Jesus so much. And then, then eventually they just kind of get into where they're just, they listed a lot of things. And then they just say, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you know, wouldn't it be great to live our lives like that? That as we talk about God, we just kind of recognize that our God is so great. And maybe we just have to take a moment in which we step back and recognize, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. When you recognize what God has done, he's called here the God of peace. How did he give us this peace? He gave us this peace by sending our Lord Jesus Christ, who is called the shepherd here, but he also was raised up from the dead. And all of this was what God had in store for us to bring about peace. And that is the peace that only can come through his son, Jesus Christ, and this great sacrifice that he gave in our place. And we see that God is so good. God always factors us in. So right here and right now, I know it can be difficult to see what God is doing in the world right now today. But yet, recognize what he's already done. And recognize that our God has not changed. He is the same uh, just like what's stated in verse 8 about Jesus, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, so is our God. God. Our God still is in control. He still recognizes what we need and when we need it, and he will provide. The Lord will always provide. And uh, here we, we kind of see a, a wonderful, uh, what would be a wonderful ending to the book, wouldn't it? But there's still just a few more verses that talk about some of those, those kind of physical things and, and the different work that that people are are uh, are still taking place in the book of Hebrews. So there's a few more verses, 
And let's take a look at those last few verses. Verses 22 through 25. Now. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of, ex of exhortation. For in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send, their, uh, send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And with that, we come to the end of the book of Hebrews. And here we see that the, the early church was so you know, interconnected with one another that we have a bunch of these, these characters, such as you know, Timothy, who was working with other people, in this case, the writer of Hebrews. And we see that they wanted to be together, but whenever they could not be together, they would still communicate with one another. We see this, this communication here in verse 22. We see that uh, uh, what we might think of it as a pretty long letter. You know, the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters, it is kind of long, but yet there was still more that could have been covered. That's why it states that, you know, in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. It, it is really short because there's a whole lot more that could be stated, but that was enough for the time being to send out to the churches to get them to recognize how great it is in Jesus Christ, how wonderful it is that we can serve him and that we need to continue to serve him. We need to continue to greet one another and we need to continue to be uh, about all of these things, uh, just like the Hebrew writer talks about and just like what Timothy was working for was so that we can be what Jesus would have us to be as the body of Christ. And the last statement that's given to us is grace be with you all. And with that statement, I will leave you and I hope that grace will be with you.